Hi everyone, welcome to the Understand the Bible podcast with me, Bill Saker. Today we're continuing our series in Genesis. We're looking at Genesis chapter 2 from verse 4 onwards and we're thinking about how humanity is the, the crown of creation and what that means for us as human beings, how we live out our vocation as human beings. You might like to have a read of the passage before listening to the sermon. Just to remind you once again that there is more content available on YouTube. There's a, a weekly Bible study which happens on a, a Wednesday afternoon and there's also a regular Firm Foundations course and this week we were looking at the creation and about how important that is. If you'd like to support Understand the Bible as well, then there's a page on the website with information about that. Uh, it's possible to pray if you use PrayerMate, or um, you can give as well. There are ways of giving financially too. So thanks so much everyone for uh, for listening. Uh, I hope that you enjoy. Uh, and don't forget, by the way, if you can, do leave the podcast a rating, maybe even a review as that helps other people to find it too. And uh, let all your friends know if they are into this kind of thing. So thanks so much. I hope you enjoy the sermon and I'll see you again soon. Well, last week we started this new series in Genesis and we were looking last week at uh, Genesis chapter one about, uh, well, at the end of the day, how mankind was, if you like, the, the crown of creation, how creation sort of culminated in the creation of uh, that in his image. Now, mankind is unique in creation as being made in the image of God, made to rule over the rest of creation. So mankind was sort of the, the crown of creation. And what we're looking at then in this chapter is it about what that actually means, what it means to be made in the image of God, what that means for us as human beings and, and how we relate to the world. Um, and once again, we... I mean, you could spend all day talking about these, these passages from Genesis. They're so rich. There is so much that you could say. So I'm not going to go through the whole thing. But I've got um, three things here, which uh, three sort of points, if you like, I just want to, to draw out for us as we, uh, as we go through. So the first thing is about life. Um, there are two kinds of life in the Bible. This is what it says in, in uh, chapter uh, verse 7, sorry. It says, The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So God needed to breathe his life into the man for him to become a living being. And what this, this says is that life is not just kind of our base biological survival. Life is not just about, you know, the length of days or whatever it may be. But actually there is a, a kind of spiritual life, that which comes from God. Now this is something which um, C.S. Lewis uh, picks up on in his book, Mere Christianity. And I'd just like to um, read you a little bit from this. This is the second time I've quoted this in, uh, in a week, actually. I quoted it on Sunday as well. But it's a good book if you haven't read it. Let me read you a little bit from this. Uh, what man in his natural condition has not got is spiritual life. We use the same word life for both. But if you thought that both must therefore be the same sort of thing, that would be like thinking that the greatness of space and the greatness of God were the same sort of greatness. In reality, 
the difference between biological life and spiritual life is so important that I'm going to give them two distinct names. The biological sort which comes to us through nature and which, like everything else in nature, is always tending to run down and decay so that it can only be kept up by incessant subsidies from nature in the form of air, water, food, etc. is bios. The spiritual life which is in God from all eternity and which made the whole natural universe is zoe. Bios has to be sure a certain shadowy or symbolic resemblance to zoe, but only the sort of resemblance there is between a photo and a place, or a statue and a man. A man who changed from having bios to having zoe would have gone through as big a change as a statue, which changed from being carved stone to being a real man. Now, I appreciate that there's um, maybe slightly complicated there. I hope that you, you followed that, but his, his, his thinking was natural life is like being a statue. Spiritual life is being like a, a human being, a living human being. That's the difference between spiritual life and biological life. The difference like between being a statue and being a, a living being. That's, the, the, that's how he describes it. And I, I think that says something to our world, doesn't it? Because if you think about our world today... So much of the time, people think the only really important thing is length of days, how long you live, and we will do anything to extend that time. But the Bible says, actually, the, the more important thing is whether we have life in God, whether we have that, that spiritual life, the life that Jesus came to bring. He says in, in John chapter 10, verse 10, I came that they may have life, and have it to the full. And I think what that says is that life is, it's not about how old you are. You know, I think in our culture today, we tend to think of life as being with the youth and with the young. You see that on TV a lot, don't you? It's just kind of implied. People think, oh, children have got life and young people have got life. But actually, life is not, that's not life. You know, life comes from God. It's not about how old you are. It's about whether you're walking with God and whether you've got that spiritual life. And I think that, that's related to love. Love and life do go together. Love comes from God, life comes from God, and that's what life is. You think of what um, Billy Graham said. I remember um, when he died a few years ago, this quote sort of um, came out quite a lot. But he said, you know, someday you will hear that Billy Graham has died. Don't believe a word of it. I'll be more alive than ever before. I'll have just changed my address. I'll have gone into the presence of God. That's what Billy Graham said. And I thought that's a, a lovely way of thinking about death, isn't it? Thinking actually he's more alive now than he ever has been because he's got that completeness of the spiritual life. That's what we want. That's what we want now. But that's what we are looking forward to as well is that spiritual life. So the second thing then from Genesis is how we serve God as human beings. So it says there in verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So to, to work it, that this word just kind of means to serve, to serve. And so Adam, the man, was to serve God by taking care of, of creation by, by doing the task which God gave him to do. 
Interestingly, that word to, to work is used um, in several places in the Old Testament um, of actually working in the temple or the tabernacle. So let me uh, just quote one verse here, Numbers chapter 4, verse 30, where it says, Count all the men from 30 to 50 years of age who come to serve in the work at the tent of meeting. It's the same word, to serve in the work, the same word that God gave Adam at the beginning in Genesis chapter 2. Now, what does this say? I think it says that there is no divide between the sacred and the secular. Like so often we, we put a barrier up, don't we? We say church is on this side here and the things we do in the church are, are one side of our lives and the spiritual side, prayer, reading the Bible, those are, that's spiritual and that's a separate thing to the rest of our lives, our work, our family, our hobbies, whatever it may be. And, and near the twain shall meet. You know, we divide up our lives, don't we? The sacred side, the, sec uh, the secular side. But what this says is that there isn't such a divide. That we serve God by being and doing just ordinary human things. You know, we serve God in our work. We serve God in our parenting and in our uh, friendships or, or in, you know, in things like gardening, you know, making the world beautiful. Now, that's how we serve God, by being and doing the things that God made us to do in his ways. The early church had a slogan, which is, uh, work is worship. And uh, I think they used to have that the sign up sometimes, you know, um, work is worship. And I, I think, wouldn't that, you know, transform the way that we thought about life? if we had a, a, a slogan like that up. I mean, imagine if you were you know, doing the washing up or, you know, gardening or the, the hoovering or the work, whatever it is that you're doing. And you think, well, this is worship as well, doing this in God's ways and, and praying and, and inviting God in to those sides of our life as well. Because, you know, the whole of our life, God cares about and wants to be involved with, not just the stuff that we do here. But as we said, our... Uh, service it is to be obedient to God and this is I think what it says in verse 16 17 the Lord God commanded the man you are free to eat from any tree in the garden but you must not eat uh, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you eat from it you will certainly die and we'll come on to that uh, next week but what I, I think this says to us is that we are constrained you know we are we are free, but we're constrained by the way that God made us, aren't we? You know, he's given us a task to do and he wants us to do it in his ways. We're not free just to, to go off and come up with our own plan, if you like, kind of without God. But God wants us to do it with him and obey him. And that's how we flourish as, as human beings. Actually, freedom is the freedom to obey God and the freedom to live life in his ways. So we talked about um, the different kinds of life. We talked about how we serve God as human beings. The third thing is about the importance of man and woman. And this comes over uh, very clearly in this passage. It says in verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So this is the first time in Genesis anything is described as not good. 
If you, you remember last week, everything was good. It was good, good, good. And then the end of creation, it was all very good. But for the first time here, it said something is not good. It said it's not good for the man to be alone. And uh, in this particular instance, God is saying that he needs a uh, helper, is the word that, uh, that Genesis uses. Now, this is one of these words which is quite difficult to translate. Um, because, you know, I, I can appreciate how people have read this passage um, in the past and thought, oh, you know, being a woman, oh, is that just being a helper for men then? Um, that's not exactly what it means. Let me just quote you uh, Psalm 115. Psalm 115, uh, verses uh, 9 to 11. It says, All you Israelites trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. House of Aaron trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. Help, it's the same word again. So God is a helper. So being a helper in no way says anything about inferiority because God is a helper. And that is, that's what um, is being said here in Genesis, that being called a helper isn't saying it's uh, anything to do with superiority or inferiority or anything like that. It's actually saying that there are, there are things, you know, men need women and women need men. It's, it's again seeing that coming together of working together to be able to to achieve and this is why I think it goes on to describe the the creation of uh, the woman in in such a such a lovely sort of poetic way how the man uh, fell into a deep sleep and he takes one of the man God takes one of the man's ribs closes up the place and, and made a woman from the rib he'd taken and um, the man said, oh, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Uh, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And it says, um, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and he's united to his wife and they become one flesh. So we mustn't miss the, the significance of what's happening here. The one man, it starts out with one man, then it becomes two then becomes the man and the woman. And it's then, as it says, when they come together, they become one flesh. So what we're seeing here is one, in this passage, becomes two and then becomes one again. One becomes two, becomes one. Now if you think back to last week, we think we were looking at how God made different things to work together you know he, he separated he made the 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 earth and the sky he made the day and the night you know two things differently which work together kind of complementary you know to, to work together and that the male and female the man and the woman is the ultimate expression of that of that unity in diversity you know two things being different but coming together to be one that is the, the, the ultimate expression of, of who God is, really. Saying that there is a, a, a unity, but there is a, a diversity coming together to be one. And I, I don't think this is just referring to marriage here. Um, 
uh, obviously in the in the verse 24 it talks about marriage but I see this you know all the time uh, one of the things like I like is um, you know you see this in offices for example you know very often it seems like um, you'll have women who are the you know be the secretarial staff who will have perhaps be drawn to certain roles and men will do different things and and I like seeing that you know because I think that's a wonderful way that men and women can kind of can complement and work together you know you see this happening in the world all the time don't you that men and women are not the same but actually they they have different roles and they um, they just work together well and that's how God designed it you know he designed men and women to work together but especially when it comes to to marriage and that's something that I think particularly at the moment you know I just think what what an insult it is to God when we undermine marriage and male and female. What an insult it is to God when we, when we try to undo the good that he has made. Uh, I told you just earlier about the statement that the, the bishops made, the Church of England put out this morning. And, you know, think about that and think about what it says that we have supposed leaders in God's church who are trying to undermine the thing that God made and you know it's not just bad is it it's very very bad that that's that is that's where we are in uh, in the church of England well it, sadly they are just reflecting what is happening in society at the moment and there was a speech in parliament I think uh, yesterday or the day before um, and uh, it was a, a woman who was just trying to defend women's uh, sex-based rights, you know, to say there should be women-only spaces, rather than allowing, as they are, I think they're going ahead with in Scotland, to allow people to define themselves, identify themselves as a man or woman, whatever they want to be, and therefore if a man says they're a woman, they can then go onto women's toilets and women-only spaces, legally. And... Um, and this, I think, it's, again, it's an undoing of God's goodness in the world. It is rejecting God as our creator in a very fundamental way. And when we say that male and female don't matter, either for marriage or just there's no such thing as male and female, it isn't, you know, it doesn't, we're just indistinguishable. We actually undo God. You know, it's an insult to God. And that's what's happening uh, in our world today. So let's, uh, let's summarise then where we've got to with this. Um, the first thing is to remember that life comes from God. And we need to remember that life is it's not just about how long we live, but actually the important thing is whether we are living with God or not, whether we have the spiritual life that comes from him and whether that life will continue uh, into eternity as we look forward to it. Secondly, we serve God by uh, living and loving in everything that we do. Not just in the, the spiritual side of life, but in, uh, in the, um, every part of life. This is what it says, what Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. He says, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, anything, do it all for the glory of God. God is 
cares about every part of our lives, not just the things in church. It's all for the glory of God. It's all for him. And thirdly, I think we need to embrace that gift of male and female, of, of masculinity and femininity. And I think this is something which, um, you know, it, it's meant to be a good thing. You know, to be made as a man or a woman is God's gift to you and, and to me. It is God's gift to us and it shows something of who God is. That doesn't mean we all have to do it in the same way. You know, obviously every man and every woman is, is different and is unique. But to embrace the gift, the way that God has made us, that's something which is, that's where we find fulfilment and where we find freedom and life, is in actually embracing that uniqueness and that difference, uh, rather than trying to undermine it. So let's take a moment to pray as we come to the end. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for, uh, for giving us life in the beginning. And we thank you, Lord, for the spiritual life that you offer. And we pray that you would help us to grasp that life with both hands, to take that life uh, which comes from you alone, and that you would help us to grow more and more alive. And uh, look forward, Lord, to the day when we will be more alive than ever, when we're with you in the new creation. So please help us, Lord, to, to do that and to know all that that means as we serve you uh, as men and women in these coming days. We pray for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.